Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. It was the top political story of the week, and it was kind of a dud. Mueller Day came and went. It wasn't the big spectacle that Democrats had hoped for and that President Trump had feared. In back-to-back sessions before the House Judiciary Committee and the Intelligence Committee, one focused on obstruction of justice, the other focused on the Russian meddling in the 2016 election. Robert Mueller declined to answer questions, appeared confused with certain lines of questioning, asked for many questions to be repeated, and just really didn't seem to move the needle of public opinion. We spoke to Ginger Gibson. She's a political reporter for Reuters. For more on how the Mueller testimony went. So the big moment during the morning session with Robert Mueller was when he was asked, had the president not been the president, would he have indicted of obstruction of justice? And Mueller appeared to be saying yes, that he would have. He later sort of walked that back, saying he didn't understand, he wasn't clear on the question, that he was not saying he would indict the president under the specific details, but that had in a hypothetical situation, he would be capable of indicting a president after they left office. Yeah, and that all centered around the uh, Office of Legal Counsel, who basically said you cannot indict a sitting president. Gerald Nadler got him to say that, once again, he did not exonerate the president. But other than that, not really much came out of that. It was very much sticking to the book, sticking to what was in the report. There was many times that Mueller declined to answer things, or he, he even refused, which I thought was very interesting, to read passages from the report. Instead, he would defer back to you know the Democrats or the Republicans asking the question and say, well, why don't you read it? Very conscious of not wanting that soundbite of his voice to be out there. That's right. This was not the blockbuster hearing that Democrats had hoped for. Uh, there were no big moments. And Robert Mueller was very brief, compounded by the problem that the lawmakers didn't appear uh, ready to turn the microphone over to Robert right. Mueller for most of it. They were each given five minutes, and many of them spent the five minutes appearing to cr- try to create their own sound bites instead of getting one from Mueller. One of the interesting exchanges also that happened from the first hearing was that with Representative Val Demings, where she asked if he would agree that the Trump administration and the questions that they submitted, if they weren't thorough enough, and if that impeded the investigation, uh, Mueller, again, really not giving a clear answer, just, yeah, I generally agree with that. I mean, there was so much of that kind of answering. There was a little more detail as well from Robert Mueller about the process of asking the president for an interview that he spent over a year inquiring, uh, trying to get an interview with the president that he wasn't able uh, to follow up based on the written question. And there was an exchange there for a moment where someone said, well, is it possible that you just gave up on this uh, because you already had all the evidence you needed to prove that there was the intent to commit obstruction of justice in Mueller? You could see trying not to answer the question, but he said it would have taken a long time and it would have been bogged down in the courts and they knew that and uh, and didn't think it was going to bring much more information to the table. Yeah, everybody was pulling passages from the report and they would lead Robert Mueller into yes and no questions about, you know, 
Is this true? Did Trump do this? Things like that. And Mueller would follow along with it. And at the very end, he would say, I'm following through with you on this. And that's all accurate. But I don't agree with the way you're you're painting the picture. And there was just so much of that. Let's talk quickly about the second session before the House Intelligence Committee. They were focused on the Russian interference into the 2016 election. Any big moments from there? This was really the part in which Mueller felt more comfortable saying conclusions and what had happened. He has been quite clear uh, that he believes the Russians did interfere in the 2016 election, that they were actively involved in trying to influence the outcome. There was one moment in which he said, you know, he's worked in law enforcement and investigations, and this was sort of the most clear and egregious example of a foreign government trying to interfere in American democracy. When it came to the president, again, we did not see him giving anything up or being willing to say something that was beyond uh, what we already saw in the report. Uh, He did say early on that collusion is not a legal term and that there was no way for them to investigate collusion because it wasn't actually a crime or a thing that could could be investigated uh, by a prosecutor. So uh, the big two things that Trump likes to say no collusion, no obstruction. At different points today, we saw Mueller saying that that, that was not quite the case since one, he did not exonerate him into uh, he didn't even investigate so-called collusion. Let's talk about Mueller's overall performance. I didn't really think he did very well. His very short answers, he uh, seemed kind of confused with where the line of questioning was going sometimes. He asked for many things to be repeated. It was tough to watch. Uh, it was at times a little tough to watch. He sort of mumbled. Um, he seemed confused about who was asking him questions. But I do think he would think he did a good job. He didn't speak outside the bounds of the report. He didn't say anything he hasn't already said in writing. That was kind of his goal going in was just to explain that. But it was not the performance that many people were hoping for, which was a way to sort of crystallize and make clear to a person who hasn't read the whole report what's in it. Instead, there was a lot of referring to paragraphs and page numbers and basically telling the American people to read it on their own. Yeah, it was was kind of messy sometimes. The president, you know, uh, tweeted truth is a force of nature. They're claiming a victory on this. The last thing I want to ask, Ginger, we at the beginning of the week when we spoke about this, we were going off of that question that Chris Wallace asked, is this going to be a dud? What do you think? I'm not sure yet. I think it's still too early to tell. There were some moments where the sort of meat of what is in this report became a little clearer. Things that we already knew, but they're going to be on video clips, which we didn't have before from a speaker who uh, still really held on his credibility. And so I think it takes a few days before we know how that's going to register with the American public. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Another major story this week was that of Puerto Rico Governor Ricardo Rosello. He announced that he would be resigning on August 2nd. This comes after more than two weeks of protests over corruption and mismanagement on the island and the release of almost 900 pages of vulgar text messages between Rosello and his inner circle. Hundreds of thousands of Puerto Ricans turned out earlier in the week to protest for Rosello to resign. We spoke to Andrew Scurria, reporter for the Wall Street Journal, for more on this and who the incoming governor will be. Her name is Wanda Vasquez, and she's already getting calls to resign before she even starts. It truly seemed like he thought that he could ride this out, uh, but in the end, he bowed to public pressure. 
There were demonstrations that were among the largest in the history of the island. And not just the political opposition, but many of his one-time political allies, people who really believed in him and the statehood movement that sort of swept him into office, just determined that he was too toxic in light of the corruption investigation that reached pretty high into his administration, as well as, of course, these leaked messages that were pretty embarrassing and insulting to a lot of people. This is the first ever resignation of a Puerto Rico governor, and uh, the next person in line is going to be the Secretary of Justice, Wanda Vasquez, when Mr. Roseo resigns on August 2nd. She's actually jumping a step up because it should have been the Secretary of State, but he was among one of these officials that recently resigned also because he was swept up in these scandals. He actually wasn't on the chat, but he resigned anyway. And the belief is that he was asked to in order to make room for uh, someone else to be elevated to the role. Interestingly, there's a bit of uncertainty about whether and how long Ms. Vasquez will be in office. She actually said in her statement yesterday that she would assume the governorship, quote, if necessary, which suggests that there may be some deal-making going on and that uh, she could potentially step aside and make room for someone else from the party, although that's that's not clear at this point. I, I, I think you're very much in flux. Yeah, on Twitter right away, uh, Wanda Renuncia started trending. Uh, Wanda resigned, basically. I think chants were coming like that from protesters still. She has kind of a checkered past there in the administration also, where there's a few things that she went through. So it just seems like the people of Puerto Rico want completely new leadership in there. Right. Well, she doesn't have a popular mandate. Uh, the only uh, people who are on the ballot uh, every four years are the governor and the lieutenant governor. And uh, she, people, I think, put her in the same bucket as the sort of establishment uh, political culture that they have been uh, railing against in the streets for the past couple of weeks. How did things get so bad for Ricardo Rosello? Because from my understanding, he kind of insulated himself with just a bunch of yes men, very close associates and aides, and, you know, shut a lot of people out, a lot of outside counsel, let's say. And he just kind of lived this way. And at the end, when, you know, the scandal started getting out of control, he really had nobody left. Everybody ditched him and he was very isolated. He did surround himself with with confidants and he uh, also got into a bit of a tiff with the Senate president earlier in his administration. And th this led to an increasing political isolation over time that left him, you know, without any friends at a moment where he needed it the most in order to kind of ride out uh, this this difficult time. And as I said before, his allies just just weren't willing to stand with him when the heat was on. Give us the state of Puerto Rico right now, because the next governor has a lot on their hands. They're still reeling from the hurricane. Um, the electrical system out there is just shot, you know, after the hurricane had hit. It took like 11 months for a lot of people to get power back. The economy is horrible. There's just a ton of problems there. Whoever becomes governor next will face an enormous challenge uh, because this populist wave sweeping the island has really raised expectations for reform. Uh, yet whoever comes into office is going to deal with a very weak set of institutions and an increasingly large credibility gap 
with Washington lawmakers and with the Trump administration. And because of the fact that Puerto Rico is a territory and answers to Congress, gets its money from Congress, ultimately can have its will overridden by by Congress under the Constitution, it, it's difficult for them to get anything done without Congress's uh, participation. At the same time, the population is really demanding a tougher line against more federal oversight. So how a new governor is able to balance that and still push initiatives forward on the debt restructuring, on infrastructure investments, uh, it's a very tight path to walk. As you mentioned, it was one of the most historic protests a few days ago there in Puerto Rico on the island. This is something they wanted. They wanted Roseo gone. Now they have it. How are they feeling? There's a sense of relief, I think. Um, and I think it's important to remember the context that, you know, it, it wasn't just the chats that set people off. They touched a nerve because it was trauma after trauma after trauma. First, the trauma of the bankruptcy, knowing that their elected leaders uh, got them there, put them under that mountain of debt. Then the sense after the hurricane that the elected leaders were not looking out for their interests like they should be. And then what came out in the chat sort of confirmed everyone's worst fears uh, or what they suspected deep down and just really, really touched a nerve. Uh, now that that has been relieved, I don't think anyone thinks that, that their problems just went away. Uh, but there is a bit of a psychic lift, I think, that comes from having achieved something, uh, something tangible. Well, one more week to go before Ricardo Rosseo is gone. Andrew Scuria, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Across the pond, one of Britain's most famous and controversial politicians, Boris Johnson, has become the new prime minister of the United Kingdom. His first big task will to make good on his Brexit promise and lead the country out of the European Union. He's definitely an interesting character and has a lot on his plate. For more on this, we spoke to Annabelle Timsit, reporter at Quartz, who is based in London, for all the reaction to the new prime minister. He, in fact, won in, in a landslide with 66% of conservative party members who voted. It's more a, a reaction of resignation, let's say, today over here in London for a lot of people right. have expected this to happen, but, you know, aren't necessarily pleased. There was a few preemptive resignations uh, from the cabinet already. Who, who, who left? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a fair amount of that is is normal in the sense that when a new prime minister comes in, uh, you know, some of the people who were in the cabinet of the previous prime minister will leave their post to kind of clear out for the next team. So some of that is normal. But, uh, you know, we've seen specific people say that they are preemptively resigning because they refuse to work under Johnson. Uh, you know, the UK education minister quit before the election results were announced. The foreign office minister also resigned. The secretary of state for international development resigned. The chancellor of the exchequer also resigned. So we've seen some really high profile people leave government and say that they will not work under Johnson or say that they don't approve of his vision of Brexit. The UK is one of the top players in the world. What has been the reaction from other world leaders to him being the prime minister? Yeah, we've had uh, quite a, <laughs> a different scale of reactions. So it depends on who you look at. But the first person, at least that I saw, kind of uh, make an official statement on this and reach out was Donald Trump. He tweeted about it kind of just a few minutes after the results were announced. He said, you know, congratulations on becoming the new prime minister uh, he will be great. 
And then, uh, you know, we had some foreign uh, presidents and other leaders like the president of Turkey, the prime minister of Israel. But the interesting part of this is looking at the reactions from European leaders. Uh, and when you look there, the reaction was decidedly more tempered and a little bit more cold. So you had, for example, the Brexit spokesman for the European Parliament. He tweeted that there would be a meeting of the Brexit steering group to discuss what this would mean for Europeans. Um, and the European Commission Brexit negotiator kind of also had a, a sort of form type response. And we didn't hear anything from kind of the major European presidents and leaders like, you know, the French president or Angela Merkel uh, for, a, for a long time. And, and when they did speak, it wasn't necessarily the warmest reaction to his election. Tell us a little bit more about Boris Johnson and why he's so controversial. He was a journalist before. He was the mayor of London and obviously now prime minister and a very hardline proponent for Brexit, which is also the next big thing he needs to take care of. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, he has a lot of other challenges. You know, people here and elsewhere, obviously, and rightfully so, are focused on Brexit because it's the biggest challenge right now. But there are other really immediate challenges. The UK is in the middle of a diplomatic crisis with Iran over um, the Strait of Hormuz. So, you know, he has a lot of challenges that he's going to have to deal with. And I think some people are worried that he's not necessarily up for the job. Now, you asked, you know, w w a little bit about him. He's a very controversial figure. He was fired from a publication that he worked at previously for making up a quote. He had a reputation when he was a journalist as somebody who was a very good writer, but didn't always stick closely enough to the truth uh, in his articles. Um, he you know, then entered politics. He became mayor of London, which was kind of an incredible feat because London is a very liberal and cosmopolitan city. And usually the mayors that get elected are not conservatives. The last thing I want to ask is just a little more on Brexit. Uh, Theresa May stepped down after Parliament repeatedly rejected the withdrawal agreement she struck with the European Union. Boris Johnson says he can get the EU to renegotiate on this, but they say that's they're not going to do that. And economists are saying that if there's a no deal Brexit, that's going to disrupt trade and might plunge the UK into a recession. He said, come October 31st, which is the deadline, we're going to get out one way or the other. It's the first thing that he's going to have to be handling. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, the deadline is really looming October 31st. And he said it, you know, we're leaving no matter what, we're leaving with a deal or without a deal. And I think that's what's scaring a lot of people is his willingness to entertain the idea that the UK will leave without a deal. Um, and uh, like you said, economists, analysts have all said that that would be a terrible outcome for the UK and, and for the EU, too. So I think everybody's pretty keen to avoid that. But he's he's a little bit of an unpredictable actor. So, you know, we don't really know why he thinks that the conditions are going to be any different for him than they were for Theresa May. But he seems pretty convinced that he's going to be able to get a different deal out of the EU. In some of President Trump's follow-up, uh, he also called Boris Johnson Britain's Trump and called him tough and smart. So it seems like we have two very similar guys at the helm right now. So it'll be very interesting to see what's in store for the UK and what's in store for the United States as the relationship is going to continue there. Annabelle Timsit, reporter at Quartz, based in London. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter 
and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.